I'm going to share with you today, <clears throat> the title of my message is Learning to Trust, and, you know, kind of a simple title, and you'd think we'd have a handle on it, but you know what, it, it, it really comes down to that's one of the great things that we have to learn, one of the biggest things that we have to learn is to get to the place where we just, we just simply trust Him. Um, you know, I think oftentimes we, uh, with doctrine and so forth, we go into such depth in, in our teachings and so forth oftentimes, and that, that's important, but I think oftentimes we lose sight of the fact that we just need to get to the place where we trust God. You know, I, I think of some of the, you know, old-time believers, you know, over the years living here in Jefferson for the last 35 years, some of the people that were influential in Pentecost coming to town and maintaining it and so forth, I've had the privilege of, of knowing and sitting down and visiting with and talking about. And, you know, and one of the things that I've noticed is that, you know, always they didn't have uh, what I would consider anyway, perfect doctrine. But one thing that they had, they trusted Jesus. They had a confidence, they had an assurance in Jesus that no matter what happened, uh, he was not going to leave them, he was not going to fail them, that no matter what the circumstances were, uh, they were gonna come through it victoriously because of Jesus. And you know, that's one of the things, we talked about it last week a little bit, one of the things that we notice when we talk about faith, that we see that faith and patience are always, it's, it's like they're lumped together, if I can use that terminology because faith requires patience. Because faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things but not seen. But we don't have a guarantee as to when we're going to see it. And so it requires patience that we, we remain constant, we remain the very, the, the same all the time, no matter what we see in the physical. Because if we look at the things around us, if we look in the physical, uh, we can get extremely discouraged and we can give up. If we want grace, uh, we must learn to trust God enough to apply His Word in every situation. You know, grace, faith, is really coming to the place where we, we, we take a hold of, we appropriate what God has supplied for us through grace. Grace is God's part. Everything that we have is a result of the grace of God. We haven't earned it, we haven't deserved it. It's the grace of God. Faith is our part. Faith is how we appropriate or take a hold of our, or how we receive what Jesus has already done for us. And so, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn them to Hebrews, the 12th chapter. Trust is when we move our confidence from self to God. Because you know, one of our great hindrances is, is we, 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 we very, we're very confident in self. Now, I, I believe that we have to have a degree of confidence in the abilities that God has placed in us so that we we operate in those abilities and we, we do those things. But we've gotta 
never stray from that point where we put God in the center of it. You know, what, what pride does, and we talked a little bit about pride last, last week, what pride does is pride puts ourselves, it puts us in the center. And so we focus upon ourselves rather than on God. And you know, in this day that we live in, it's, it's kind of difficult to keep God as the center of our life. Now, none of us want to admit that. But it's very difficult to keep God as the center of our lives because everything around us tries to take that place. All the activities that go on around us, it tries to transfer and it tries to take that place of centeredness. It wants to become the most important thing in our life rather than, than God. And so it, it really takes a decision on our part and it requires effort on our part to make sure that we keep God in his rightful place, which is in the center of our lives. Because like I said, everything around us, every distraction around us wants to move us from that place. And so in Hebrews, the 12th chapter in the 14th verse, it says, pursue peace with all people. Pursue implies that there has to be some effort involved. We're to rest in God. Hebrews talks about how we're to enter into God's rest. But when we're talking about the rest of God, it's not talking about sitting in a couch vegging out. The rest of God still involves effort. But the rest of God is putting God in the center realizing that we totally, completely depend upon him and that he's never going to let us down. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without, with, <clears throat> without which no one will see God. I don't know about you, I'm going to see God. And so we need to pursue peace, we need to pursue holiness. Now we are holy. Thank you for that rousing Amen. We are holy, but it isn't because we've made ourselves holy, it's because Jesus has made us holy. It's because of what he's done in our lives. It tells us in 2 Corinthians that we are the righteousness of God in Christ. And so if we are righteous, we are a holy people. Revelation talks about how he's coming for a holy people. We say, well, when are people gonna get in that place? Well, it isn't because of self-effort that you're gonna get there. A lot of people that have tried to be holy and trying to be holy won't make you holy because you'll never be good enough. But through the completed works of Jesus, we are. About say, I am. Amen. Third of you were able to say that without fear and trepidation. But we are a holy people. But it isn't because of self-effort, isn't because of what I've done, it's because of what Jesus has done in my life. And so that's where our trust comes in. That's where our confidence comes in. That we put our trust and we put our confidence completely in Him. <clears throat> Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness spring up, cause trouble, and by this may become, uh, may become defiled. 
lest there be any fornication or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. Notice he tried to do it in his own effort, but it failed. You know, oftentimes we get turned aside, not because God's turned us aside, but because we're, we're trying to do it in our own effort. And the thing about God is, one of the things that I've learned about him is, he's a gentleman. If you want to do it yourself, he'll let you. If you want to, if you want to go out there and do it in your own ability, he'll let you. Except, you're going to reap the reward of that. Or, we can say, God, I'm going to trust you. And, and you know what? We'll probably end up doing the same thing. But it's where the emphasis is. The emphasis is on him. It's never on self. And once again, in the world around us, our, our, our lives, everything wants us to focus on self rather than focus on Jesus. You know what the problem with legalism is? The problem with legalism is it focuses on self. It focuses on me, my, the, the unholy trinity. <laughs> Praise the Lord. The holy trinity is Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. The whole unholy trinity is me, myself, and I. And that's what legalism does. It gets us focused on the unholy trinity. It gets us focused on me. It gets me focused on my ability, my effort, my sacrifice, rather than Jesus' sacrifice. You see, any sacrifice that I make in life is minuscule compared to the sacrifice of Jesus. Marco talked about forgiveness. Do you know why forgiveness is so difficult? Because unforgiveness focuses on the unholy trinity. It focuses on me, myself, and I. You know what they did to me? You know what they said to me? You know how that person cut me off at the turn? Focuses on self. But when we focus on the trinity, when we focus on Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, you know what happens? All of a sudden, anything that you do to me is so minor in comparison to what my sins cost Jesus. It cost him his life. He, the penalty that he paid was for me. You know, we have a tendency to look at it and think, the penalty that Jesus paid for humanity, that's very broad. But when we make it singular, when we begin to look at it, the, the beatings that Jesus took was for me. The sacrifice that Jesus made was for me. Jesus became poor that I might become rich. Everything that Jesus took upon self was for self, was for me. And so forgiveness then ceases to be such a, a great effort when I look at it in comparison to what Jesus has done for me. And that's why it's so important for us to keep our focus off of self. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. 
for he found no place of repentance, though he uh, sought it diligently with tears. See, oftentimes our repentance, we, we want to do it on our terms. Repentance is never on our terms. It's always on God's. It's turning from self and it's turning to him. And oftentimes with our weeping, with our crying, what we're doing is we're still focusing on self. Now repentance can lead to tears. Repentance can lead to, to crying. But you know, oftentimes that's just demonstrating how sorry I feel for myself. And the focus has focus always got to be on him. For you have come to the mountain that may be touched and that may burn with fire and to darkness and darkness and tempest and the sound of trumpets and the voice of words so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. Speaking of Moses. They didn't want to hear the word. You know why? Because the word brought fear into their lives. You know what? The word of God doesn't bring fear into our lives. What the word of God does for you and I is when we're focusing on God, it brings us comfort. It brings us assurance. It brings us to a place of knowing where we know that no matter what I have done, the price that Jesus paid was more than enough. I am exceedingly afraid and trembling, but you have come to, to Mount Zion. But you, but we have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, and to a company of angels. We've come, into the, we've come to the place that demonstrates a true relationship with Jesus and how his suffering paid the price for each and every one of us. We hear this, this term where somebody's fallen from grace. Well, they've fallen from grace. When we think about somebody falling from grace, what we think about is that they've fallen into sin. But you know what? Falling from grace is when we fall from that place of putting our trust and confidence in God. When we sin, we don't fall from grace. When we sin, we fall into the place where we can only put our trust and our confidence back in Jesus. Why do you sin? We sin because we've looked at something other than Jesus. Amen? I mean, it's, it's easy to be pure in church. <laughs> Amen? I mean, you don't have to worry what's going on around you. It's a, it's a safe environment. Well, where we have different, maybe I'm, maybe I'm just preaching to myself this morning. You know, I, I don't have a problem in church, you know, because I get a look at all of your wonderful faces and, and most of the time you're smiling at me. 
And once in a while you give me a dirty look, but you know, praise the Lord. You know, that goes with the territory. You know, <clears throat> but it's, it, it's, it's, an, it's, it's when you get out there. That's when the temptation comes and you know why? Because I'm not, I'm not focusing on, on Jesus. I, I, I'm distracted by the things around me. And so if, 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 if I fall into sin, I'm not falling from grace because it's at that point that I have to put my trust and confidence completely in Jesus once again. No, falling from grace means that you've put your trust and your confidence back in yourself. You've become self-centered. And so what religion has done, it's, it's lied to us. And, and so we, we, we sin and what happens, we... We don't run to God, we run from God. We, we, we play the old, you know, the Adamic game. You know, we, we hide. But you know, as Christians, we should never hide from God. When we mess up, when we screw up, the first thing that we ought to do is run to God. And the way that we run to God is we say, Father, I need your grace. I can't do this on my strength, my own strength, my own ability. I'm not strong enough, I can't handle it. I depend completely upon you. And you know what we do? We're back in grace and we're, we're there where we need to be putting our trust and our confidence completely in him. Notice what it says in, don't, do, don't turn too far from Hebrews because we're gonna come back there. But notice what it says in Galatians. In the book of Galatians, the fifth chapter, in the fourth verse, it says, you have been estranged from Christ. You attempt, listen to this, listen to this. See, some of you thought, Pastor Dave just came up with that. No, I didn't, God did. Listen to this. I'm going to start over again because you need to hear this. Don't just read it, hear it. You have been estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. Who's the one? who has fallen from grace, who, who, he who attempts to be justified by the law. You know what that means? By your own effort, by your own goodness. Now, I'm good. Amen. Everybody say, he's, he's good. You just couldn't bring yourself to do it, could you? <laughs> But I am, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Just ask Pastor Becky. She says, how's your day? Oh, it's good. How was lunch? It's good. Did you sleep well? Yeah, slept good. I live a good life. But it isn't because of me. It's because of the one that makes us good. It's because of Jesus. But listen to this again. I think this is so important because it's so easy to come down on yourself. 
Well, you know, I just think people need to be harder on themselves. I think, no, I, I think people need to be easier on them. You, you need to give yourself a break. We're so hard on ourselves. And when we're so hard on ourselves, what we focus on is self. We need to switch our attention. We need to get our attention on Jesus. And we need to begin to declare, I am in a good place because you've placed me there. I can live the good life because you've made me good. It's all about Jesus. It's not about me. It's not about you. We try to make life about ourselves. Life is not about me. Life is about Jesus. And the more we make it about ourselves, the more difficult it becomes. But when it's about Jesus, well, you know, Pastor, I've tried, but it's really tough serving God. It's because you're trying to serve God rather than allowing Him to work through you. you you've heard me share this, I don't know how many times, up in prison, oftentimes, I have guys come up and they say, oh, you know, Pastor, I'm trying. I'm trying, Pastor. I said, you're trying what? I said, I'm trying to be a good Christian. And I said, well, quit it. What? I says, quit it. Quit trying to be a Christian. You either is or you ain't. If you is, then be it. If you ain't, let's pray. You don't have to try to be something you already are. I'm 68 years old. Here we go, ooh. <laughs> Had one faint. 68 years old. In 68 years of my life, I have never tried to be Walt Schroeder's son. Do you know why? Because I is. I was born Walt Schroeder's son. And so I've never had to try to be Walt Schroeder's son. I've, I've failed miserably at times as a son and so on and so forth, but I never had to try to be it because I was. If you've been born again, you've been born into the family of God, you will never have to try to be the Son of God. You know why? Because you are. You're born into the family. And so, there, there, there's something very interesting about this. When you have the revelation that you are and you don't have to try to be, it really sets you free to be. It, lets you, it sets you free from, from trying to be something that you already are. And so then you can just simply begin to live your life and follow after him and allow him to demonstrate through you. Because, see, the other part of it is he didn't leave you to try to figure out how one of the sons of God is supposed to act. He gave you the Holy Ghost to live on the inside of you. 
Next Sunday is Pentecostal, Pentecost Sunday. When we celebrate, you know, the, the outpouring of the Holy, well, let me rephrase that. We in this church, we celebrate the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You know, it's really sad is the tool, if you will, that Jesus said you cannot function without the majority of the church today ignores. Jesus says, you go to Jerusalem, and you go to that upper room, and you don't move from that room until you've received power from on high. Why? So that you can be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. You can't do it without the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you something, you can't affect your world without the power of the Holy Spirit working and operating in your life. Well, that's not my message today. That'll be my message next week. Turn with me to Hebrews, the ninth chapter. But isn't it amazing that we we, we, we totally ignore the, the church that I grew up in. You know, we, we, you know, because we said the creed and Lord's Prayer once in a while, we mentioned the word Holy Ghost. Or Holy Spirit, if you want to be modern language. I won't go there. We won't go that modern. <clears throat> but, but we never heard about him. Never heard about him. Never. But yet we can't, without the anointing of the power of the Holy Spirit, we can't be born again. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, we can't live the victorious life. I just think it's so interesting. You know, in Hebrews 6, 1 and 2, it, it gives us the, the, the six basic or elementary principles of Christ. Repentance from dead works, faith towards God. Instructions on baptisms. New American Standard says washings, but it's talking about baptizus, baptisms. And it's, and it's plural. And so it's talking about not just simply being baptized into Christ and being baptized into water, but it's, being, it's talking about being baptized in the Holy Ghost and it's talking about being baptized in fire. All of that is inclusive within that. And then you go to the fourth foundational doctrine, which is the laying on of hands. And the only time I remember ever seeing laying on of hands in church was when my dad took me outside. Oh, there was one other time when I was confirmed. You know, and the preacher laid his hand on your hand as he read the scripture that was your scripture for your confirmation. That's it. Foundational doctrine than the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. A third of the foundational doctrines for the church evolve around the working of the Holy Spirit. Well, all of it does, but two of them directly. 
and we ignore it. How can this be? It makes absolutely no sense. And that's why people, when they come to weird churches like ours, they get freaked out because we, we, we pray in tongues and we, we allow the flow of the Holy Spirit. And they think, whoa, whoa, what's going on here? Well, what's going on here is we're following the leading of God. And you know what? Every church ought to be. We don't have a corner on the market of it. Pentecostals don't have a corner on the market on it. It's the church. We need to operate as a church. Did I ever read Hebrews 9? Okay, let's, let's go there. <clears throat> For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of heifers Man, you know, church must have used to stink. <laughs> you know, bulls and goats and burning heifers. I mean, that's a, that's, a lot of, that's a lot of stuff going on. You know, and so, thank God we're New Testament. Amen. For more reasons than one. For our senses even. And we can have sense. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of heifers, <clears throat> lost my place, and the sprinkling of uh, the unclean, sanctified for the purifying of the flesh, how much more? How much more? How much more? the blood of, of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Whew. Man, I tell you, there is so much in that verse. It's just almost wonderful. The blood of of bulls and goats, and we have a better covenant established upon better sacrifices. You know, I grew up in Minnesota, and so if it's better, it's gooder. And so what we have is so much, so much better than what they had in the, why, why, why would we wanna go back? And he says, the blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed not only from our sins, but it says our, our conscience. You know what that means? You don't have to feel any more guilt. You don't have to feel any more shame. The blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed you from all that. I used to go to church and, and the preacher would preach and he'd hammer you through the whole service and I'd get done and I'd think, man, that hurt so good. But then I began to realize something. Nothing hurts good. And I realized what it did was, it didn't cleanse my conscience. It stirred my conscience. It stirred the guilt and the shame that I had thought I'd gotten rid of. But it brought it back up again. 
And so we say that that's so good. No, the blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed you from shame, from guilt. Do you know what draws you to your past? The remembrance of your past. Well, you know, Pastor, I don't know. You know, I talk about my past and it doesn't affect me. Liar, liar, pants on fire. It does too. Affects your attitude. It affects your thinking. It affects your direction in life. And so what Jesus did, he not only wiped away our sin, he cleansed us from the defilement of the sin, which is shame and, and guilt and all that other stuff that goes with it. Why? So that we're free of it, so that it can no longer grip us and pull us back. We've been set free through the blood of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot, cleanses our conscience from dead works. You know what dead works are? Dead works are your efforts. Actually, going back to what we talked about earlier in Hebrews 6, 1 and 2, the first doctrinal truth that we've got to get a hold of is repentance from dead works. Do you know what that means? That means you turn from self-effort and you put your trust in Christ Jesus. That means your self ceases to be the center of your life and Christ becomes the center of your life. And when we do that, we experience the victorious life that's been made available for each and every one of us. Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. You know, that's what we're here for. We're here to serve the living God. And, and in order to do that, you know, we've got to stop putting our, our trust and our, our confidence in ourselves. We need to put our trust and our confidence in Jesus. In John, the 10th chapter, the 25th verse. Jesus answered and answered them and <clears throat> I told you and you do not believe. Well, we could have a message right there. Well, I believe God. Then why do you argue with him so much? He says, by the stripes of Jesus, you've been healed. He says, I'll supply all your needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. He says, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even my faith. He says, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. He says, you are the righteousness of God in Christ. He says, you are a brand new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Why do you argue with him about that? You see, we say we believe, but oftentimes we're, we're guilty just like his disciples. Because we look at the circumstances in our life, we look at the situations around us, we, we, we can't believe it because we're looking at self rather than looking to him. And again, this is Jesus talking. He says, I told you, 
and you don't believe. The works I do in my Father's name, they bear witness to me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep, do you have any of his sheep here this morning? Let me hear an amen or a bah. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice. Do I never say I don't hear from God? If you're born again, don't allow those words to come out of your mouth. Well, pastor, I don't feel like I hear from God. I told you. You do not believe. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. To those who said they were of the fold, but they didn't know his voice. You hear from God. You know what you need to do? You need to get up every day and say, I hear from God. You're going to hear from God today. Praise the Lord. Every day I hear from God. He directs my steps every step of the way, because I hear from God. I'm in the will of God because I hear from God, and he tells me where I'm to go. And I follow him, because that's the next part. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. I like the never part. You'll never perish. Neither shall anyone Snatch them out of my hands. No person, no devil, nothing can snatch you from the hand of God. There's such comfort in that. In knowing that no circumstance, no situation, nobody can snatch us out of his hands. My father who has given them to me, this is Jesus speaking to these sheep, to you and I, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. You know what that verse does? Gives us a sense of assurance. You know, in the early charismatic days, uh, you just never knew about God. You know, because one day you felt saved and the next day you didn't feel so saved. A good friend of mine talks about when he grew up in church, he went to church every Sunday night and got born again again because he had lost his confidence, his assurance during the week. We need to have confidence. We need to have assurance that because we are in Jesus, no one can snatch us away. You know, <clears throat> I want to be, but I'm not. I want to be an eternal securitist. That means once saved, always saved. It means if you prayed and received Jesus, 
That's the end of it. You're saved. Except for about two passages in the Bible. It makes it clear that if you want to, you can reject God. You can reject the Holy Spirit. But only you can. No one can reject him for, him, for you. No one can snatch you out of his hands. You, I like it this way. Kenneth Copeland said this. He said, I'm an eternal securitist. I believe that you're eternally secure as long as you stay in Jesus. Got three grunts on that one, praise the Lord. But it's the truth. But see, I'm secure because I have no intentions of walking away from God. My every intention is to serve him all the days of my life. Along the way, this isn't prophetic, it's just the truth. I'm going to mess up. I'm going to sin. Pastor, you sin? Yeah, what planet did you come from? Yes. But I don't lose my salvation because of sin. Because sin was taken care of 2,000 years ago on the cross when Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice for all of my sin, past, present, and future. So sin is not the issue. The issue is, have I chosen to follow Jesus every moment of every day? That's why every day when I get up, every day when you get up, Today, I serve Jesus. Today, I'm going to follow him. Going back to this passage. Today, I'm going to hear his voice. He's going to lead me. And I'm going to follow. I'm not going to read it because of time. You can read it this afternoon <laughs> or tomorrow or whenever you get to it in your Bible readings. But in Numbers, the 22nd chapter, talks about the children of Israel and how they had spoken against God and had spoken against Moses. And uh, as a result of it, God permitted, a lot of translations say that God sent. I believe that he permitted. I believe he lifted his protection and the snakes came. And uh, the snakes were biting them and there were poisonous snakes. And if, if the snake bit you, you were, you're dead. And so there were people dying. And, and, and of course, the children of Israel did what they normally did at that point. They went to Moses and said, Moses, 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 we've messed up again. Please, please, Moses, intercede for us with God. And of course, Moses did. And, uh, and so God said to Moses, make a bronze serpent and put it up on a pole. And when somebody is bit by the snake, I thought it was very interesting when I was reading this. He didn't take the snakes away. 
Snakes are still there. Poisonous snakes hate snakes. That would have been the worst plague of all the plagues. Snakes. I could have handled the... No, I couldn't have. No, I couldn't have. No, I couldn't have. No, no, I couldn't have. Okay, we'll, we'll just move on. But the snakes would have been really, really bad. Okay, and so he said, make a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, and if somebody's bit by the snake, they can look at the pole and they'll live. And so the snakes were still there. They had bought somebody, they'd look at the pole, they'd look at the bronze serpent, and they didn't die. They'd be healed. What's the significance of that? They had a look to that bronze serpent that represented Jesus on the cross. What's the answer to the issue that you have in your life? It's looking to Jesus. It's not looking to self. It's not dependent on you and your abilities. It's looking to Jesus. And I know we go through all sorts of different crises in our life. Because all of us go through crisis. It's like Dr. Cole said, what determines whether your life is successful or not is not whether or not you go through crisis, because you will, but how do you go through crisis? And so we will go through crisis in life. You're naive to think that you're never gonna experience any crisis. You know, because if you hang around here long enough and Jesus tarries, I'm eventually gonna die. That'll be a crisis in somebody's life. But it will be. Every time we lose somebody, we go through a crisis. Every time, you know, today, for many parents, this is a, a mini crisis in their life because their little loved one is gonna be going away. And it really is a crisis because she's going to Iowa City. What are you thinking? <laughs> Mercy sakes alive. You know, that, that's, you know, I don't know if, yeah, I won't go there. But, uh, but we go through crisis. Crisis just indicates a change in our life. If we're gonna make it through it successfully, especially when we experience those crises that are pretty big deals, what are we gonna look to? We can look to self, we can get depressed, we can feel hopeless, we feel like there's no way out, or we can look to Jesus, the author, the perfecter of our faith, the one that will never fail us. Jesus will never fail you. No matter how difficult it may seem, Jesus will never fail us. And so we put our trust and we put our confidence in him. We may not like the outcome, but we can be confident in this. Whatever the, intent, the enemy intended for evil and destruction, it'll be turned about for good. And if we will remain faithful, if we will remain true, if we will continue to trust Jesus, 
we will see the manifestation of it. But you know what, if we doubt, if we fall into fear, if we run, we won't. Jesus is the answer. Let's learn to simply put our trust and our confidence in him because he will never let us down. Amen. Hallelujah. He's wonderful. He is. And we can trust him completely. Hallelujah. Not because you came this morning. You're going to have to come up here all by yourself because I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to stand up here so I feel really tall. <laughs> Understand why? Uh -huh. Don't you love this girl? Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for this young lady. We thank you for the woman that she's growing into. We thank you for this day. It's an exciting day in her life. We just pray, Father, that it'll be a blessed day in every way. Father, I believe that you have a plan. I know you have a plan and a purpose for this young woman. And so, Father, we call it into being in Jesus' name. And Father, as we, as a body, as we pray for her today and, and as we send her on her way in this new adventure, Father, we pray that your blessings upon her would far exceed her expectations. Father, your word declares that you want to do in our lives above and beyond what we could ever think, dream, or imagine. So, Father, we pray that that would come to pass in her life. And so, Father, we just speak over her abundance today and victory in every area of life. We thank you for her and ask you to continue to guide and direct her in Jesus' name, amen. I'll come down here to hug you. So, as you go, go in his peace, his strength, his love. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, go in Jesus' name, amen. Have a blessed day. Love y'all. Give somebody a hug. Let them know you love them. <laughs>